Okay, uh, welcome to a special edition of the Wargame Podcast. With me is Craig Foster. I'm Nick Stoll. We're going to talk about the VAR kerfuffle that was last night, the A-League Grand Final, Newcastle, uh, Newcastle going down to Melbourne Victory, Melbourne Victory's fourth A-League Championship. Foz, let's start with the VAR. What were your thoughts? My thought is this, that it's a great shame and it's very sad that we have to have a, an inverted commas special edition of, the, of a, this podcast and that's because of VAR and I think the game could have done without it. I feel um, first and foremost extremely sad for the game itself. I know that Jets fans and supporters are extremely incensed. I know that Victory fans are saying well now our title is has been impeached somewhat um, and I think there's some validity to that. So there's a lot of different parties who are very upset, but I'm upset for the game itself because it's been a very difficult uh, last 12 to 18 months, if not two years. And um, the game came to a point with the grand final that was a good news story. It was great that we had it up in Newcastle. There was um, a wonderful crowd and I thought it was a good uh, climax to a season which has had a lot of difficulties and in the end it's probably a bit emblematic or it's very emblematic of where the game is right now that we should end up uh, with FFA having to make statements about how technology (laughs) um, uh, crashed uh, 30 seconds prior to one of the most important if not the most important moment in all of the season that sort of tells you where we're at and uh, uh, my overriding feeling is just one of sadness for the game. I thought we needed a really great story. I would have loved for either team to just come out with a fabulous performance. Uh, it would have been a great story with Newcastle. It is a great story with Melbourne Victory and, and the most titles. Um, and now here we are having to once again talk about a schmozzle. What did you make of the explanation that they didn't have the correct angle, even though all of us watching at home had the correct angle on our TV screens. Yeah, so we don't know enough about, or certainly I don't, but about the specific um, aspects of the technology and the law that FIFA are applying regarding VAR. So clearly you have to have some very clear guidelines around it. So I'm not surprised if people are telling us that, oh, we can't just go across to another television and have a look. That doesn't surprise me. Um, there has to be an enclosed process to make sure that in many ways it's protected. Everyone can be sure. That what, every... Is that so people aren't influenced by commentary or something yeah, like that? And, or... Yeah, all of those types of things. You know what football is like. Yeah. Um, as soon as you start to um, get outside of the closed environment um, and you've got influence from, it might be the commentators on the actual, um, on the TV, um, uh, or fans, or whatever the case is, you you know the conspiracy theories in football um, exceed those in just about any other field of life except politics. Mm. So, and also you've got the integrity of the game, which clearly is is now in question. So, the integrity of the game means that if you're going to implement any technology, you have to have a very clear process for it, and you can't step outside that. It it looks in this case as though they haven't anticipated, um, apparently, a moment where the technology crashes. Um, and nor, um, nor would any of us, I guess. You also, you always have some type of backup facility, um, including here in our radio studio. So whether they haven't thought that through, I don't know. We've only got some scan information. But um, uh, it, it's extremely sad. Now, when we talk about the statement from FFA, 
I think that, in my view, has been poorly handled, and I'll tell you why, is because I think there's an issue within the game of football. When there's good news, the big guns come out. So as soon as there's a grand final, after the grand final, you know, Stephen Lowy and David Galler are up on stage. But this is a fundamental issue over the last 12 months. This is the integrity of the grand final. This is the integrity of the champion. And I saw that um, statement, which was largely from Greg O'Rourke, and I thought, I don't think it's appropriate that Greg is made to deal with this situation himself. I'm not sure here that... I'm not sure what... Um, amount of blame can be apportioned to FFA, if any. Um, if they've been given a system from uh, FIFA and they've been told through the refereeing um, regulations that this is how you have to administer it and this has occurred, I'd imagine this is ultimately going to be a learning moment probably for FIFA, not so much for us. Mm. Well, it will be used in the World Cup. Yeah, so there you go. So I'd imagine there'll probably be, uh, prior to the World Cup, when people are talking about VAR, this moment of our grand final, sadly, is going to go global and people are going to be using it to say, well, that's why we now have a backup system, right? Uh, that doesn't help uh, Newcastle Jets and it probably doesn't help Melbourne Victory either. Although they get to walk away with the title, they walk away with the title that people will always say um, wasn't fair and and uh, was impeached. Which isn't, isn't that what... When VAR came in, the reason I yeah. supported it initially, at least, was because I was so sick of so many teams being told, ah, yes, well, you won the grand final or you won the well, Champions right. League or you won the World Cup final, mm, but, but this refereeing decision mm, got you there or this mm. refereeing decision. So it's tainted, right? And so the idea yeah. of the VAR was that, well, now we will have that will be gone mm. and you won't be able to say that. But it just seems like it's even worse. Do you it's actually support... exacerbated it. Yeah. Yeah. So let's get to that in a moment. So I think there's two issues. There's, there's one is or a number but one is RFFA actually at fault for this and they've had a, a horrible few years I think the game we've talked about that how the game's in a reasonably parlous state I'm not sure that they are at fault for this specific instance um, I think the game could have done without it and certainly FFA could have um, but um, without knowing more specifics about the regulations themselves, what I do know is that's imposed from FIFA. They obviously don't just make it up themselves. So I do feel for them there. Um, secondly, I thought this was a statement that should have come from Lowy. Right? Because, you know, you're sitting there. If I'm the chairman of that organisation, I'm saying, guys, I'm not rolling Gregor Rourke out here. This is too big an issue. This is a fundamental issue about the integrity of our competition. And whilst, Greg, you can explain just some of the fundamentals about the regulations... I need to be in that statement because I need to assure all the fans of a number of things. Number one is that um, we have no control over that, that that's, that's the regulations that are handed to us. But I thought they also needed to deal with what is the outcome now. And I thought Stephen Lowy should have been in that statement saying there will be no replay. Um, as far as we're concerned, um, you know, offside decisions occur with or without VAR um, and controversy is a part of the game, for example. Uh, and there's no scope for that to be replayed. And as far as we're concerned, um, you know, Melbourne victory of the champions. I think what they've done is just left themselves open now for another full week and probably another statement is going to be required in terms of what is the actual Further outcome. clarification. Sorry? Further clarification. Yeah, exactly. Because, um, you know, everyone's saying, well, you know, what are you going to do about it? So it's not enough just to explain it. And, you know, leadership is about uh, coming out in the most difficult moments. And the leadership is not, being, uh, not about um, being out when things are all going well. 
obviously, as we're all clear. So I was a bit disappointed in that statement. I thought that was a good opportunity for Stephen to show an actual bit of leadership there. So now if we get to the VAR itself, um, it has exacerbated the situation. What it's The only thing it's proven to me, and I always thought it, that it should only be um, ball-over-the-line situations, okay, and, um, and potentially um, penalty situations, um, but... Uh, offsides wasn't a situation where I thought that there was enough ambiguity or enough controversy um, to be potentially spending three or four minutes at a time, whether in an A-League grand final, an A-League game or a World Cup match, in order to impose it. I just I think it's gone too far, personally. And that's opened up this whole um, scenario of ambiguity. The- so in your opinion, for example, last night... Yeah. If you were running the VR system, would you have said, well, it's an offside call, we'll just let that play as the referee and the linesman have decided? Well, no, that depends on what... If you're running the VAR system, you've got to do what it is that FIFA regulations are telling you to do. What I'm saying is the FIFA regulations have gone way too far and we've had already this season a four-minute wait for various things. I don't think the VAR should ever have been used for every contentious issue. So now we've got uh, offsides, we've got red card incidents, we've got penalty incidents, we've got da-da-da, right... Um, there seems to be no end to the number of incidents that it's going to be used for. And all it's doing now is slowing down the game. And people have learnt that actually it's the technology doesn't solve the problem. The technology only gives a human being another opportunity to see it and they clearly still can't make the right decision. Or another problem to deal with. So we've had a number. So, for instance, in the major semi-final, I thought it was a clear pen, uh, penalty on Daniel Arzani. Yeah, from Jets. Mm. Right. So when Jets actually went through, my take out of that game was, well, there's a good uh, chance that Melbourne City should have gone through. Because, I, you know, I know Daniel well. I coached him. So I'm watching the game with some personal interest. Mm. Not that I go for men. Melbourne yep. City, I certainly don't. Um, but, you know, I have some affection for Daniel. And I've seen him being fouled in the box. And I've gone, that's 100% penalty. He's mm. going to give it. They went to the VAR and they didn't give it. And that was just a moment again, that reinforce the fact that it doesn't matter. If a human being is watching the video, we still all have different opinions. Yep. I mean, I've been here 16 years on SBS, and every time on a Champions League, EPL or A-League game, I can be sitting next to Spider, Patrick, uh, Roods, uh, Michael Bridges, um, uh, Itek Gange, uh, Clint Bolton. You know, we've had 100. Mm. And we're, we're talking about those issues after every single game and we very rarely can agree. Mm. So who thinks that someone's going to sit in a moment when there is some pressure, by the way, when the game is stopped and it is live and there's a couple of million people watching or 300 million or half a billion around the world in the World Cup and you've got one or more uh, referees or former referees watching that screen, that's a lot of pressure on them. They still know if they get it wrong, they're gone. And even you see in, like, especially overseas, they often have referees come in and be part of the post-match analysis. And you'll see different referees disagree. For example, big Champions League games, they'll say... That's exactly right. There's a penalty. uh, Milner did a handball in the box against Roma in the home leg, and then you'll have one referee saying, yep, clear handball, clear penalty, and the other one's saying, no, 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 it's not deliberate, it's not towards the ball. There's ball to hand, blah, blah, blah. So there's still... um, and, and the reason that is, is because every incident is slightly different. Every incident is a matter of degree. 
And so have a look at um, O'Donovan's kick on Lawrence Thomas, mm. okay? I thought it was clear, violent play. I thought that to do that in that moment, you, you clearly, in my view as a player, you understand that there's a good chance that the keeper is there. And however, so therefore for me is an automatic red card mm-hmm. because violent play is red card. Whereas it's a matter of degree and other people will say, well, yeah, but he didn't look at the, the mm. keeper. And, and I think if you haven't been in that situation, I think it's probably difficult to understand it. Yeah. And this is the whole point of it. So the the whole essence of VAR is all that's really reinforced to me is that there's a lot of uh, grey areas and ambiguity because of the um, the degrees uh, of um, each aspect of the game that has to be enforced, whether it's violence or um, in every single incident. And technology... Uh, what VAR is, it's not artificial intelligence solving it. That's a different matter. Perhaps that's the future. Right? Artificial intelligence feed in 10,000 fouls, you know, uh, 250,000 fouls. The machine, deep learning, uh, learns exactly what a foul is, mm. what a foul is not. And that all that sudden, is some way off, though. Yeah, yeah of course, of course. Yeah. I'm doing 15 years. Yeah. That's what end up happening. And so all of a sudden, over the video, the referee will actually just be given mm. the essence, right? Mm. Um, the same thing will occur with offsides. Like, if you had artificial intelligence over the... If you didn't have that human involved, yep. actually, I mean, in this incident, of course, it's the technology that crashed, which you know is is, is ridiculous. But uh, in the future, it, it should only take two seconds to work mm-hmm. out whether something was offside or not. Yeah, because the like actual a, computer can do it. A GPS positioning would say, right. "Yep, cool, we got the two people." Done. Done. Easy, and yep. even even AI over the top of video can do it these days, right? Um, but that's not what we've done. What we've said is we're going to give another human an opportunity to watch mm-hmm. a screen again. Mm-hmm. And that's really solved nothing. Okay, so uh, more immediately, would you, if you were in charge of the A-League and it was a kind of just your decision alone, would you bring the VAR as it is in its current state back again next season for the A-League? Oh, no. No, I certainly wouldn't. Um, so you would just get rid of it completely? No, I wouldn't get rid of it completely. I, the, the, there's perhaps two, but there's certainly one, and that's ball over the line. Um, we've had an issue with that for the game for a very long time. So that's that goal line technology. Yeah. They use it yeah. in the Premier League now. Yes. And it, as far as I know, it's been pretty yeah. much flawless. There hasn't been an issue. Yeah. Okay. So if we if we can if we can have that fine, then I don't think you need it. Um, however, I think that's pretty expensive. So I think there's a lot of places around who where just the replay on video, it's pretty clear to see. Or if there's ambiguity, no, it's it's no goal, mm. right? But it's one area where quite repeatedly is not caught and. That for me is a bit different because what happened is that's a goal, okay? And it's called no goal. Um, It's gone over the line. You've got it over the line, right? It's the one moment in the game when you can put your hand up and say, we should have that, Yeah, yeah. right? There's no ensuing movement. There's no no no. ensuing poor defending. There's no ensuing uh, shots. There's there's nothing that occurs afterwards. Nothing. The ball is over. And Mm. if you can solve that through VAR, then I support doing so. The other one is mistaken identity, which happens rarely, but... You know, you still see it where a player, the wrong player gets yellow carded mm. and that kind of thing. Not like, often, though. Not often. Not often. So you've opened this massive can of worms for something that happens. Like, did we have one this season in the alley? Oh, you're testing me. I mean, yeah. You might add one. Mm. But then if we had one this season, we probably didn't have one last season. So, you know, to me, you're bringing a sledgehammer. Um, and a whole host of problems alongside to to solve something which happens so rarely. And by the way, you all you do have a fourth official, 
and you do have uh, two other assistants. And between all of them, they get most of those things right. The issue about this here, the VAR going down, which is obviously embarrassing for FFA, but um, you know, as I said, I would imagine that the the system is entirely imposed on them. If I'm wrong with that, then they're in deeper trouble. Right? Um, I'm just making an assumption that the entire system and the way it's run is just handed over from mm. FIFA. Um, I believe it, it's used by Hawkeye, which yes. is a company that's used by the Premier League and all sure, over the world. So sure, it's an international sure, sure. company at exactly, the very least. Exactly. And they went through the, the process and the testing with FIFA mm. and FIFA endorsed them and then they're implementing the system. So um, this, I guess, is one of the issues with being one of the first countries to implement it as well, which I supported. You know, I said, look, yep. I think we want to be ahead of the game. Want to be a leader. I think so in, in many of these different aspects. And unfortunately, these things can come back on you in this manner. Let's go back to finally, though, back to the incident. Um, and um, firstly, the incident should have been caught by the assistant referees. I thought it was a reasonably, even in a first instance, it was a reasonably clear offside. Um, however... Um, offsides are given and not given regularly in all games, um, in all finals and so on. Um, and so, therefore, in the end, I think it's it's no different from any other normal game. I think you've got a, a serious problem if you start talking about opening that up and... Um, and replays and all these types yeah, of things. Yeah, because there was a lot of calls on our social media pages, for example, which, you know, possibly comes from a lot of disgruntled Jets fans sure. or no worries, yeah. whatever. And, and, and you know, as that, should be. Yeah. That's football and all this thing. Right. There are examples, though, of games being replayed yes, there are. around the world. That's they right. are very rare. Let's obviously say yes. that. But, for example, um, a World Cup qualifier in 2005 between Uzbekistan and Bahrain was replayed for, for ref error. So there was... Yes, but what's the error? Basically, the, I, as far as I remember, it was like a, a penalty uh, was awarded, then a player encroached, and instead of that uh, being retaken, as is the rules... A foul was given against okay. the player and that kind That's of... That's right. Go through the others because they're okay. different from an offside. Uh, so the other one was in a Turkish league game between Besiktas and, unfortunately, a team I can't pronounce, but Genklubili mm-hmm. replayed... Yep, there. No worries, yeah. there you go. There SBS, you go. 16 years. You got yep, that. Exactly. Um, replayed due to ref error on a free kick. So he said he made an error in deciding the free kick and that kind of thing. Again, I'm going back to 2005 no, and that's a Turkish good. league yeah, game. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. The, in the UEFA under-19 uh, women's game between mm. England and Norway, the final minutes mm. of a game was replayed. So they, they came back five days later and played about two minutes mm. of action because of a penalty of decision and that kind of thing. So mm. it's... Yeah, okay. okay, but what you're talking about there is fundamental... Um, Misapplications of right, yeah. of the law. Yeah, of the Misapplication law, yeah. of the law, yeah. not missing an offside, no. which happens reasonably regularly, mm. um, and is a question of the speed of the game, the quality of the assistant referee, um, and the human eye. Um, and it is a part of the game that, uh, you know, has... Um, is important part of the game that has existed for a very long time uh, and comes down to the quality of the assistant referee, basically. So that's very different, in my view. Mm. Okay, Take the VAR away last night. Um, all, it, all it was was uh, an offside, um, which we think should have been caught, but by no means is outside of the realm of what hasn't been caught many times before. Mm. What, what do you think about... 
I guess even like let's talk about like VR as a bigger thing. Is it actually improving the game? Is it making the game any more enjoyable? We ran a poll on yeah. our Twitter uh, account a few hours ago, like as this mm. was being debated, and seventy four percent of the eight hundred and forty four votes mm. said they do not want the VR mm. in the A League mm. uh, next season. Mm. So is it is it making the game better? Is it making the game fairer? Is it making the game more accurate, more mm. enjoyable? Mm. In some instances, it's made the game more accurate. Uh, is it making the game more enjoyable? Oh, not particularly. Um, but I don't particularly follow one team in the A-League, so I'm a bit different there. I'm not like the Jets fans or the Victory fans. You, you know, you'd be better off asking them. Mm. Because in those moments, I'm just looking for, do they get it right? I'm happy if justice prevails. It's, I'm not emotionally involved if you know what I mean. Do you think that's happening enough from what you've seen? Is no, but the issue with it, though, that's, that's point number one. The second issue, though, is that um, it hasn't improved the game because it's been overused. You know, that's a fact. It, it's actually uh, created more problems than what we had before. Mm. Um, and I guess some of the uncertainty around decisions was whilst people didn't like it too much as, um, as parochial fans... Um, it was accepted. We knew that there's human error involved, you know, and we would always say, well, look, you know, it's a difficult job being a referee. Now that you've introduced some further referee and a TV screen, um, it's holding them accountable to a degree that they're clearly not able to live up to. So if I was, um, you know, involved in it, I would just scale it back. Mm. I'd say, look, for these, you, you need to do a, a, a study about what's, what's occurred, what are the, all the instances. There have been some around the world, um, but particularly here. And I'd say, look, we're not use, no longer using it for those incidences. Mm. Do you think as well, like, it's interesting that it doesn't seem like it's ready for the World Cup that is no. less than six weeks That's away true. now yeah. and how they will use it. Like we don't really know exactly how they will use it. No. It seems, and as far as I know, one of the reasons, at least, maybe a bit conspiratorially, that has been put forward is the idea that you can put advertising around more advertising into the game if you have the VAR. So, for example, on Fox Sports's coverage, it's the McDonald's VAR check, right? I'm sure FIFA will be able to sell that worldwide okay. mm. to whoever. But yeah. do do you think that is? maybe some of the motivation for bringing in technology well, I don't know about Infantino. before it's ready? Yeah, I, I think um, in the recent history of the game, whilst there was a hell of a lot of corruption around, mostly, I can't think of too many issues about the on-field integrity of the game that's been damaged too much because of commercial intervention. Um, you know, for instance, they haven't allowed advertisements on the field, mm. on the grass. Yeah. Right, in the World Cup. Um, it took a long time to get it, um, you know, on the board, the hoardings around, even at the World Cup. Um, it's still not on anyone's national team jerseys, exactly, for example. Exactly. Then there was talk about putting it on the nets, and why not? It's got nothing to do with the pitch, you know, the field of play, but no, that hasn't been allowed. So I think their record recently, anyway, is quite strong in that. So that wouldn't have been my thinking in terms of conspiracy. My feeling is that it's the big nations who are pushing it. And why is because when you come to a World Cup, of course, it's knockout games, essentially, mm. right? Even a group game is yeah. really Seven a games, knockout, you're champion. Right? Yeah, so three games to get out of a group. Yeah. And every point is obviously extremely important. So they're, they're, they are very close to knockout games. And when you play a minnow, let's say you play Australia and you might be Brazil, right? Um, one slip and one offside decision such as this can cost you mm. round of 16 and a potential world title. There's so much riding on it particularly when they play smaller uh, smaller nations. 
So my feeling is that the big nations are saying, we want this mm. because we are superior. And if we can have something in place that ensures that every decision is correct, we know that the vast majority is going to go for us. Um, that's what I think has been pushing it. How's it going to work in the World Cup? Well, we're all going to have to work it out. But if they're going to stop for three or four minutes in the World Cup, I think it's going to be absolute chaos. And what's occurred around this grand final in the last three hours, um, if not the last 15, um, if that has to happen in the World Cup, then it's not, uh, you know, 30,000 Jets fans who are going crazy. Mm. You know, you're talking about half a billion people going crazy, and that's just not going to be good. No. Okay, let's quickly talk about the game itself. What did you think outside of the goal itself, how victory played, how the Jets played, the Jets were at home, they didn't create too many chances, Lawrence Thomas had a very good game? Yeah, oh wow, Lawrence, hasn't he grown the last um, 12 months or two years? I think um, Kevin's done a really good job with him. You know, when he came through, certainly I wasn't convinced. I, I remember him playing at the early stages, I thought he was a bit shaky with his feet, I thought he made some mistakes and... And it was difficult to see how he's going to evolve into what is now a really high-quality competitor. That's what I've been so impressed about him. And not to mention his physical courage that he demonstrated throughout. It's not nice to get whacked in the side of the head. And I don't know whether he should have carried on. That was the question for me, is when you get the studs in the side of the jaw... Um, anyway, that's a matter for um, FFA and also the the doctors. So the well-being of the player is, is the most important um, parameter there and I'm not sure how, how that was managed but uh, nevertheless um, the player's shown immense physical courage and you know I think there's a lot to be said for that right? well, On O'Donovan in that incident yeah. uh, is going to be suspended yeah. what would you think would be a reasonable punishment for that? Um, he does I, have a bit of form for yeah. so I think that behaviour. I think that has to be taken into account I'm not a, I'm not a I'm not part of the match review committee, but I'm pretty sure that repeated um, repeated errors, if you like, or uh, has to play a part in ongoing. Um, someone might pull me up on that, but I would have thought that's the case. Um, I thought it was um, it was not only reckless, but it was violent. Actually, I think in that moment, you know that you're a good chance to take his jaw out. You know your your foot is way too high. Um, I don't think he was going to get the ball, and I think it's at the higher end. I don't know. I'd have to have a look at the precedence, right? But it's definitely at the higher end of violent play. No question in my mind. Mm. Which is is it's sad for him. I think he's a very very good competitor, but a lot of the best competitors also have that um, that line which they can at times step over. And uh, just being a good competitor is no um, no defence yeah. to putting another player as um, well-being, health, uh, and potentially career uh, in jeopardy. It doesn't matter; you're in deep trouble. What do you think about the Jets? Because they were so known for their attacking football this year. They scored so many goals uh, mm-hmm. during the league season. Admittedly, they lost Andrew Naboo, who was mm-hmm. an attacking threat yeah. halfway through, which mm-hmm. would affect it. But they didn't seem to create all that many chances, mm. you know, uh, after the early goal from victory? So what What the goal, and I, I think this is why um, the Jets fans will be really upset about this incident, and, and certainly I would be if I was them, is because what it allowed victory to do was then to close up. And um, 
the thing about Jets football is it's mostly counter-attacking football. It's almost entirely counter-attacking football. They need to use the space in behind. They need to go as quickly as possible. Um, and they attack usually with limited numbers getting forward. Um, they can keep a team in their half at times as well, but most of their goals, I think, have come from the open space going really quickly and getting in behind. I mean, against Melbourne City, they were incredibly direct. I mean, they're smashing a lot of long balls in behind for Hoffman. I couldn't believe how many they were just whacking in behind. Uh, so what it did, sadly for them, was it took away their best weapon. And when victory were able to stay there, then they're going to be difficult to break down for any team. Um, and you're going to need a deflection, you're going to need some poor defending from victory, but they're well organised, they knew they had it, it's in a grand final, you know they're going to put every single thing on the line, every player's going to make sure they do their job extremely well, and they did so. So mm. unfortunately for Jets, the goal actually changed the game. It's a cliche that people use a lot, I tend to steer clear of it, uh, but in this case it's accurate because what it meant was victory no longer had to come out at any time really and commit anyone forward. Now it's a credit, I don't know if Kevin Musk had planned that, guys if we get one nil up this is what we're going to do, that's quite likely, um, or whether in the situation he made that decision and communicated it, but whatever the case, um, from a coaching perspective um, it's a, it's a um, sound decision it's, it's good football thinking. Um, it's not the type of football I like to see. Mm. Um, and it didn't contribute to a fantastic um, a grand final no. from a, an attacking perspective. But from a pure coaching perspective, he did a very good job there. And he took advantage of one moment in uh, you know which really should have been pulled up even with a naked eye. How, how do you rate kind of, I guess, musket and victory season? Because mm. I, I said that, it's like when you haven't studied for the test all year, but then you you get a 97 in the final exam. You just, mm. you know, they were they finished fourth in the league. Mm. I was looking up their kind of regular season stats. They only won two more games than Perth in the regular season. Mm. Perth sacked their coach and finished eighth, mm. you know. They only scored five more goals than the Wanderers, who finished seventh and sacked their coach. So, you know, and Victory and Wanderers both lost uh, 10 matches this season. So it wasn't like... They were so far behind Sydney, for example, even behind uh, the Jets. But now they've gone, they've beat their oldest rival in mm. Sydney FC. Mm -hmm. They've won the grand final and they've knocked Melbourne City out of the Asian Champions League places mm. that was going to make the Asian right. Champions League debut. Like, what a turnaround in three weeks. They've got to be really upset. They've Melbourne be City. Really upset, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> really upset. Yeah. Um, I wonder even if they considered some type of legal action. I don't know, but I'm just, um, you know, I'm just speculating because but who's liable here yeah well the could the jets gone down. could the jets yeah. do legal action i mean they're yeah. losing revenue by not yeah. being the champion that's by true. not so and city would be losing the yeah. same by not being in the asian champions league and they have a bit of money to put behind yeah, a legal case true. it's really it, it really is a mess the shame is if it had just occurred and just not been picked up by the assistant referee everyone moves on mm. as just uh you know something that was missed yeah um uh, how do i assess this season um so I think that they had a lot of difficulties throughout and I think rightly Kevin Muscat has been c given credit for continuing to keep them 
alive, really, and keep fighting. You know, that's a club with a lot of pressure mm. um, that every year has to be in a grand final or has to be finishing in the top two. So he hasn't done it. I, I understand that he's been under some pressure regarding his contract and the ongoing future, you know, that's been reported and so on. Well, they made a terrible start to the yeah, campaign and shocking. there was talk that, you know, maybe the, he was he going to be go. gone. Yeah, well, I, I heard on the, on the coverage yesterday that he'd been booed by his own fans. Mm. I didn't know that. Um, that just goes to show... I don't mind that. Whilst he's a legend of the club and he's won everything, he's probably entitled to say, oh, geez, come on, guys, you know, mm. look what I've done mm-hmm. with you um, and probably we could say for you, but together, look what we've done. Um, nevertheless, that's a good thing about big clubs, you see. The Melbourne Victory says it doesn't matter. You know, we love you, but if you stop performing, you're gone. Mm. And that's why a club continues to stay at the top. Mm. And that's one reason why Melbourne Victory, even given this moment, they might well have managed that grand final and won it anyway because they know how to win. Kevin Muscat knows how to win, and that's a big uh, that's a big value. So I thought he did well from a coaching perspective in keeping them strong, keeping them together, keeping them believing, even though they all knew that they were having a very poor season by their standards. Um, and to come back and uh, do what they did in the semi-final was pretty special. My concern was, um, especially after what happened to Wanderers 5-4 against Brisbane, and I thought when they went and played Adelaide in the grand final, I thought they were just dead. Um, credit to Adelaide but it was a very different Wanderers because having been there it's not just the 120 minutes it's not just the extra 30 minutes running of maximum intensity when you are already struggling a bit you're you're reaching deep really deep into wells of energy that takes a long time to to rekindle Uh, but secondly it's actually the emotion and the, the most draining thing as a player is emotion and the, the elation of winning that semi-final in the way that they won it is so great. And Kevin Muscat was on the field and they were all yelling and carrying on. It was a wonderful story. And my, my thoughts at, the, at that point were, gee, you know, they've probably overdone it a bit here. Mm. You know, I kind of expected Kevin to be the one to say, no, no, guys, that's great. Oh, look, it's an unbelievable story. It doesn't matter. This is about next week. We expect to make the grand final here. We're not that happy just to get past Sydney, even though he's, of course, internally, you know, he's, he's ecstatic. Usually what you see is calm down, everyone. Yes, it's brilliant. Like, let's straight in, let's move on. We get ready. It wasn't actually. It was, it was like they won the grand final. And I thought with the Jets' energy being at home, um, I thought they might be able to run over the top of them. That's probably why this is so damaging because the fact that they were able to sit back also let them conserve energy. Mm. If it was an open game against Jets, given that they played 120 minutes, in the last 30 minutes of that game, substitutes notwithstanding, I reckon that Melbourne victory would have been close to being on their knees. So you put yourself in Ernie Merrick's position. What he would have been saying before is let's keep the game intensity high. Okay, firstly, because that's the way we've been playing. Secondly, is because, guys, they're going to be dead. They've done 30 minutes more. They've had massive emotion. He's been there. He knows what it does. And we need the fastest game possible. And don't worry if it's 1-0 down. Don't even worry if it's 2-0 down or it's 1-1. One, one, forget the score. Keep the game speed high. And in the last 30 minutes, we'll score three. Mm-hmm. And that goal took that away from them. And I would, I would imagine... 99% that would have been their match strategy. The match strategy was dead in that moment. Victory, stay calm, they stay compact, they conserve energy and they hold on for the rest of the match. It's, it's, it may well be the only way that they could have got through it. But isn't that then kind of 
Should Merrick be criticised for not adjusting to the... Because it was quite mm. an early goal, wasn't it? This goal yeah. came very late and had no chance to... Mm. It was in the 12th minute or something. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So should Merrick have adjusted his team yeah. better? Yeah, so I would look at that. In, you know, if I had been analysing the game live, that would have been my thinking. It would have been, OK, let's have a look then. When you've got them, they're in their half. They're not really too interested in going anywhere. What is it that you're trying to do? And if it's not working, how are you changing it? Um but even if you change it 10 times, um, in the end, that doesn't mean that you're going to get through even the best teams in the world. Mm. We can look at what he did or didn't do and we can speculate and talk about it. Uh, but ultimately, you could have changed it five times and Melbourne Victory may well still have held on, particularly because Lawrence Thomas has just been an absolute standout and, is, and has become you know something of a legend at a club. What, what do you think of kind of... The finals in general. It was an amazing, dramatic final mm. series. And very, we had incredible good. moments. In very, very good. Sydney, Melbourne was one of the all-time great games. We had Barisha scoring the overhead kick. Fantastic. Riley McGree scored maybe the greatest goal in A-League history with his Scorpion goal. So it was an incredible yeah. thing. And I, I think that brought a lot of excitement late in the season. Yeah, exactly. It had been quite a very dull season. Yeah. But, you know, we talk about, like, you know, the just thing happening. Melbourne Victory have not been the best team this season. No. No way. But that's finals. And, and I know they're the first outside the top two, right? Um, that just says to me, okay, there's an advantage to being in the top two. There's also a strength of the top two. I've clearly quite usually been, um, you know, far in advance of the rest. And that's usually been, been the case right throughout. Um, but it's a wonder that it's taken this long. Um, look, as you know, I'm not a huge fan I'm a, I'm a traditionalist for football, not necessarily always for Australian football. I think that the final series is something that is, exists across many codes in Australia and was adopted across the football, and I've never been a big supporter of that, and I've played in a bunch of them. Um, I would have loved to see us going now into a cup final. Um, so the know, FFA Cup to run simultaneously yeah, to the A-League and yeah, that was, a, a cup that final. That was my hope. I thought when the FFA Cup... Uh, was done that's what it would have been and so therefore the FFA Cup final would have been yesterday as they do in most leagues around the world with the Cup final being just after the season finishes but I know that a a lot of fans um, enjoy the final series and and I must readily admit that there were some fantastic moments Um, and because Sydney FC have been dominant for the vast majority of the last two years um, there hasn't been a lot of uncertainty around the league and all of a sudden the final series delivered that. So there was some fabulous games um, and um, it was a very good way to end the season. Finally, about this VAR stuff, though, you know, the the thing about um, football is that the emotion is always extremely strong and that's what we love. You know, we love and hate. So we we love a way of playing, we hate a way of playing. We love one uh, personality, we hate another personality. That's the that's the reality of football, and that's how we like it. Should never change, right? We don't have any middle ground in our game. Um, you know that's why the FFA find things difficult because they've either done a good job or they're complete idiots, right? And the same with us. You know, on air, it doesn't matter. I either agree with you or you're the biggest moron that ever lived, and that's great. That's exactly how it should be, right? Um, in the end, this is just another controversy, and the game hasn't had enough controversies mm. recently, actually. I think the coaches have... Well, off the field, there's been plenty of controversies. You mean in terms of governance? Yeah. yeah I'm talking about on the field. Yeah. I'm talking about within the clubs and the coaches and the players. Yeah. Well, this is now a historical moment. This yes. will be... Like, to be honest, next season, it will be great to see the Jets kind of do a revenge campaign and yeah. kind of be... 
in yeah, similar yeah. the way that Bayern won in 2013 their Champions yeah. League after yeah. they lost to Chelsea, Drogba yeah, beat him an extra yeah, time. Exactly. They totally. they were desperate for revenge. That's right, yeah. And that was all that drove them to exactly. the Champions League. So I would exactly. love to see the Jets. There's your, camp, there's your, there's your membership drive, mm. you know, already there. Um, and the game's become a bit sanitised, and I think FFA have got a lot to um, a lot to answer for that. You know, a coach a- uh, opens their mouth and they get fined straight away. Um, there's issues of integrity about referees and these aspects. I understand that. However, they've got to be able to question and even attack. I mean, if Mourinho was one of the A-League coaches, mate, he, the guy wouldn't have a salary, right? Because he'd be contributing every second. Mm. But why, do, why does everyone love and hate him? So we come back to this um, polarising nature. And talk about him. This is the point. So this, you know, this issue now will, will go on and on into next season. And in the history of the game, this will be... If I was a non... Melbourne Victory fan, which I am, but I mean, if I was a fan of another club, which mm. I'm not, I'd be saying, okay, that's the Tainted Championship. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And we don't accept that. And that's exactly the type of discussion that incenses everyone, um, polarizes fan groups across clubs. That's exactly what the game is about. Mm. And there's not enough of it. Yeah. You know, I think the coaches need to be more vocal. I think players can be more vocal as well. And we've lost the sense of a bit of theatre. When we started the A-League, you know, I remember, for instance, talking to someone the other day about, um, you know, the some of the people that are involved, but who was the La Paglia? La Paglia, yeah, because oh, Driller was here and he was telling me about him. You know, those guys really loved him. They said he was a fantastic guy and he, unfortunately, he... He it was uh, the former owner of Sydney FC in the first season. One of the owners. Minority owner, yeah. Yep. and he got forced out and there was a bitter, bitter pill for him and all of those players of that era are, are still upset for him. They, they really loved him as a character. Those types of characters, there's not enough, actually. Mm. If you go to Italy and no. you look at the club owners, wow. Right? Yeah. you got, um, you know, the Napoli, Yeah, the you know, Napoli president who's the yeah, film director. film director who's just crazy. Yeah. You've got the French. Oh, they're just mm. magnificent, right? And don't even talk about the South Americans, whatever, right? You know, we well, compete- in Greece, there was a Russian owner who brought a gun onto the field. So Yeah, well, that, I'm not suggesting that that's a good idea, but <laughs> I get what you're saying, yeah. There's a certain craziness, right? Yeah. And I, lo- I, I love that about the game. But there's, uh, there's mythology that comes with it. I mean, yeah. we talk about tainted finals and all that. They still talk about 1966 and whether yeah. that Jeff Hurst goal That's crossed right. the line exactly. and all that thing. It, it goes forever. That's exactly right. The game needs those, needs those moments. Mm. But I think we need to release the reins a bit as well. And we need personalities... To allow those moments. ...back to... in the game. Yeah. Um, because we need... Um, uh, we need discussion, we need controversy, we need these things. Uh, it's just unfortunate that the vast majority of the controversy in the last two years has reflected back on FFA, mm. whether it's governance or other issues, and the reality is this is the last thing they needed on top of that. Yep. Okay, let's very quickly talk about the Socceroos World Cup squad that is going to be announced tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is a story on the World Game website. You can go check it out right now. Preliminary squad, it's from AAP. It says that Daniel Arzani will be included. That's kind of the big storyline. Mm-hmm. 32-man squad. What are your thoughts on that? Well, of course, he should be there. There's no question he should be there. I mean, he was a shining light this season. Um, in a season that I don't think there was a lot of um, uh, tactical growth, I don't think there was a lot of stories around 
even fantastic new players coming into the league. I think we've we've missed we've lost the sense of big names coming as well, which can capture everyone. You know, even if I'm not a Adelaide United pl- a fan, but I can watch a particular player. You know, the Del Piero effect. We've lost that. Um, and what this season became a little bit about was about the young players emerging. Finally, um, I still think it's sad that Sydney FC are a club that hasn't been promoting them because it's a really bad message to the rest of the league. Nevertheless... Azani was at Sydney FC youth team uh, yeah. a few years ago. Well, he was with me at Football New South Wales. Mm. And um, Daniel came to me in 20, with me in 2013, I think it was, to the Nationals down in Canberra and was already uh, certainly a rising star anyway, but a kid with immense confidence in his own ability and, and he does have some special abilities. Um, my only question when he started playing was why wasn't he playing last season? Did do you... When you saw him, admittedly, it was a few years ago, but did you see something then that you thought, yeah, that is a guy who at yeah. least has the talent yeah. to be yeah. a so soccer there's, there's not, in youth development right now, and I've been there six years, male and female, there's not many players come through where you go, okay, that's something different. That's a technical ability to get out of things, um, an ability to see the game, uh, which was still developing then, um, back then it was a lot of getting into problems but having the ability to get out of problems and you could see something special. Now what's happened is uh, Daniel's grown also to understand the game more and stay out of most problems. But the ability to just get the ball and go at people all the time and then use other teammates to just bounce ball off as you're going through. Um, the, the, the pass quality has really developed for him as well. Do you think that's something we lack at the soccerers level? Because one of the things that excites me about him is he's yeah. one of the best dribblers I've ever seen in Fantastic, the A-League level. Yeah. yeah, of course it and is, yeah. I feel like we haven't had a winger since maybe Harry Kuehl that had yeah. that ability. Yeah, so here we are. What We must be nearly 10 years after a new implementation of a new program between 9 and 13, right, which they call SAP. Um, Skills acquisition program. Yeah, I thought that it lacked a tremendous amount, in particular decision-making and thinking training. Nevertheless, the one thing that it should be by now after 10 years is it's now time to do a review of it and have a look at what type of players are coming through. Um, Perhaps do a national test even about what the level is and try and get a benchmark. Um, we should have. We should at least have a lot of people coming through now who can dribble, shoot, pass with mm. both feet. With High body. technical. But yeah, because that was the whole idea of it mm. was to put them in moments where they could just practice that you know a thousand times. Didn't mean you're doing it in the right moment. Didn't mean you understood what was around you. Uh, but you still you should at least have some tools. And I don't know. I don't know. Um, you know whether that's how successful that's been. Mm. So. But anyway, he should be in. And question in a thirty-two, he should be in. Personally, I think he should be in a 23. I think that a part of a 23 is there's at least a couple, and, and of course, Hitting did that back in 06. You have to take a couple who are building for the future. Mm. He took Mark Milligan and Michael Beach, yeah. who had had a very good season for the Mariners that Yeah, time. that's right. So there's no question in my mind Daniel Azani needs to be in the squad to go to the World Cup. Mm. I and thought that was obvious by mid-season. And I believe uh, Luongo, Massimo Luongo, went to the 2014 World Cup before he was part of the okay. regular Socceroos with okay. Ange. I don't right. know if there was an injury or something, but basically he, okay. he was there. He was involved and right, then by right. 2015 he played in the Asian yeah, Cup exactly. and was one of our best players. Yeah, so you're already there, you see what the level is, you get to know the people, you get to know the staff, get comfortable in that environment. Oh, look, I'll put it this way, I'll be I'll be extremely disappointed if not incensed if Daniel Azani doesn't make the 23 to go to the World Cup to at least experience it 
um, with a view towards being one of our key players in the Socceroos over the next 10 years, which unquestionably he is. Mm. Uh, the kind of other thing that's kind of popping up is Tim Cahill has barely, he's not started a game at Millwall the mm. entire time he was there. He got sent off in his last game from suspended for three games for an elbow. Mm. Hasn't been the greatest of time. Admittedly, you know, the championship is a relatively high level. Uh, do you think, regardless, he should be included? In the 23, because he will be included in the 32 tomorrow. Um, well, I think what would happen is he's going to bring him in the 32. He's going to assess him, see where he's at, um, because he, you have to be physically capable, firstly. And if he hasn't played enough football and so on, and you're not satisfied that he's going to be able to even do a job off the bench, then there's, then your, your decision's already made for you. Um, do I think that he can make an impact off the bench against these three teams for a 20-minute period um, when they start to get some crosses in, as he did even in the last few years for Australia. Okay. Yes. He scored the two goals against Syria exactly. in the World Cup qualifier exactly. in November. So we are still reliant on a player who is a is an unbelievable goal scorer, who has an aerial threat which is unprecedented, uh, and who has vast experience and can come into any pressure situation and perform at the very highest level immediately. doesn't need 90 minutes to get into the game or, or, or even 25. So... Do I think that if he's fully fit, um, he's a likely squad member um, to give something different off the bench against these three to try to get out of the group? Yes, I do. Yep. Do you think that he adds something in terms of experience? He's obviously it'll be his fourth World Cup. He's obviously dealt with the media and all that. He's our biggest name, at least, mm-hmm. at the very least. Do you think he adds something in that respect as well that's also crucial? Um, I'm not behind the scenes. I know that he adds a lot to the group. But I think that can be overplayed a lot. There's a lot of them in there now, quite a few of them who have World Cup experience. Um, how necessary is that? It might be more necessary because Van Marwijk's in charge with his Dutch crew, and I understand he's bringing a couple more on now. Um, and uh, so you can lose that very quickly. Um, and all of a sudden it can become a bit Australian and Dutch. It's almost like two camps. Um, and, you know, the Dutch... And when I say that, I mean also the staff, you know. So I'm quite sure some of the Australian staff are feeling very much on the outer now. Um, they're not contributing as much. Uh, Van Marwijk's relying, speaking in Dutch, um, on his Van Bommel, his son-in-law and the various other people who's got in there. Um, and someone who can bridge that gap a little, who the manager can feel really comfortable with. He knows he's been at the top level, gregarious personality, can bridge the gap back to the rest of the group, keep the two camps together within the World Cup context. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if that's very valuable. Okay. All right. Well, you can watch all the Socceroos games at the World Cup on SBS. Uh, tomorrow, the squad will be announced at 10. We will have it on our website straight away. And Lucy, the France game's at 8 p.m. Right? 8 p.m. 8 p.m. Saturday night. Come so on. that should be, be one of the all-time... should be half the country. Well, hopefully, we'll break the record there for football. Mm. Um and that'll be a really wonderful story. Yeah, hopefully yeah. it's the highest rating thing of the year. I'm fairly certain it will be. Mm. Yeah, break the record for sport. Mm. Um, break the record. Let's hope for for television. Mm. It could break historical record. Yeah. Saturday night, eight, 8 p.m. Saturday night. Come on, you got to have. Yeah. You got to have easy four million plus watching yeah, yeah. that. It's going to be very special. Let's hope. Well, I'm sure everyone listening will be watching. Uh, yes. Yeah, so tomorrow, 10 a.m. Squad is announced. You can check that on the website. Uh, Lucy will be discussing that on our Facebook Live that she does tomorrow on Monday. Good bash. 
Uh, yes, with Bash, okay. we'll have plenty of the Champions League finals coming up on SBS. Wow. Liverpool, Real Madrid, one of the biggest Champions League finals in terms of two big names. We have Manchester United versus Chelsea, FA Cup final, final day of the Premier League coming Very up. Big. So you cannot get enough football on SBS. Go to our website, go to our Facebook, go to our Instagram, go to our Twitter. It's all there. Thanks very much for listening. Thanks, Foz. Okay, pleasure. We'll speak to you soon.